Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Connor Gillivan. Connor, welcome to the show. Henry, thanks for having me on. So Connor is an entrepreneur and the co-founder of FreeUp. Uh, FreeUp is a company that connects small business owners or any business owner, actually not just small business owners, with freelancers online. And we'll chat a bit more about what they offer there. He's also the author of a recent book called Free Up Your, or Free Up Your Business, rather, 50 Secrets to Bootstrap Million Dollar Companies. Uh, he's done it with Free Up, and we're going to chat about his experiences there and some of the key takeaways from this book. Uh, he started his first business, Portlight, when he was 20 years old from his college dorm room, uh, drop shipping products on Amazon, and he scaled it to selling over $20 million of product in its first four years. And then he started FreeUp.com in late 2015 with his partner, who we've had on our show as well. Um, and um, and again, they connect the top 1% of freelancers online with business owners. And it now serves over 2,500 businesses worldwide. And so today he is the chief marketing officer of FreeUp, driving growth for that company through digital marketing strategies. And he also continues to run Portlight, the first business, as its CEO. And so today we're going to chat about Connor's personal journey to where he got and his experiences along the way. And we're going to dive into his advice, tips and advice on bootstrapping a small business. That's a huge topic for me, Connor, and for my listeners and for my clients, because as myself, most of us are faced with not having <laughs> unlimited resources to start a business, right? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, when I started my first business, I didn't even have the credit worthiness to have even attempted a loan. So bootstrapping was my only option as it is for a lot of us. Yep. Uh, so that's what we're going to dive into and focus on. So once again, Connor Gillibin, welcome to the show. Awesome. Let's uh, Let's get into it. Absolutely. So I understand you recently moved. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I, I was living in Orlando, Florida for the past five years or so, and I just moved to Denver, Colorado. So pretty exciting. You know, a lot goes into a move, but slowly getting settled here. And so your partner, Nathan, is he still back in Orlando? Yep, that's correct. So our, our we don't have any offices. Um, and even when we were in Orlando, we, we worked both from our home offices and all of our team is remote. So we really practice uh, what we're preaching at FreeUp with the remote team. Yeah. Well, conveniently, as we're recording this, uh, Hurricane Irma is making a beeline for Florida. I'm from South Florida originally. Okay. But uh, I guess you got out of there in the nick of time. I know. I was... Good timing. How's Nathan doing down there? I mean, he's in the he's in Central Florida, so that's not as exposed, but still. Yeah, everyone he's doing well. Everyone I know down there is doing well. Just kind of, you get you get your supplies. You 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 know you hatch down the the doors and everything, and kind of hope for the best. But being in the Central, right. you, they probably won't get it as bad as the coasts. Right. Yeah, we won't have the storm surge. You might just still have the winds and so forth. Uh, so why Denver? Sure. So uh, I have some family out here, and I also spent my summers here uh, while I was in high school. So 
I know the area decently well. I've always loved it. And my girlfriend also works completely remote. So we were just looking for a change of lifestyle. We're both from, uh, you know, near mountains. So we miss that being in Florida and, uh, it's just kind of a new adventure for us. Yeah, no, I hear you. We, uh, I go to Denver frequently. We have a business that we're building there and we have a couple of existing businesses in Colorado Springs. Nice. So I go out that way often. Beautiful area, growing tremendously, the Denver area is anyway. So speaking of high school, one of the things that caught my attention as I was doing the research is you went to a prep school, a college prep school. Uh, was it, um, did you stay there? In other words, was it a, uh, um, what's it called? A uh, Like a boarding school. You, yeah, yeah, boarding school, exactly. Thank you, I was lost for words. Was it a boarding school or not? No, so it wasn't. It, it was a school, everyone just commuted to it each day. Um, but it was it was interesting because it was a Catholic military school, so right. it was run by Lasallian brothers, um, like the administration. But then there were former a former lieutenant colonel and two former um, first sergeants that kind of ran the disciplinary parts of the school. So it was, it was kind of an interesting mix. Did you go there by choice or not? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It was it was a school that was well known for both academics and sports in my area, and I, I had a good amount of friends that that were headed that in that direction um, for high school as well. So it was it was it was pretty much my choice. I have to imagine a lot of structure, a lot of discipline. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you uh... is that something you think has helped you now in your career? I do. I think it, it, it kind of got me into that mindset from an early age. And I mean, it, it goes all the way down to the way that you dress. We had to wear a uniform every day where you were putting on pins and belts and, you know, shining your shoes. So, you know, in terms of presenting yourself, I think it helped a lot. And then also just um, being regimented in terms of your classes and, and making sure that you're organized with everything. It, it definitely made an impact. Yeah, I have to imagine. So then you studied economics in college. What were you thinking you were going to do with that? Did you sure. at that point already had decided you were going to be an entrepreneur? Just tell me about what you were thinking then. Yeah, sure. So um, I went into school just going into the business school. Um, I knew that I was always interested in business. I My first job was working with my cousin who had started his own landscaping company. So I love the freedom that I saw he had being an entrepreneur. Um, and it was always something that I was interested in. So going in, I, I took all the kind of the intro courses, to, you know, your marketing, finance, econ, um, whatever it was. And economics just happened to be the one that I took the most interest in. Um, I'm highly interested in mathematics and it has a, a strong math background. So um, I, I just kind of fell in love with it when I when I started with it. And then you went on to more schooling at the Code Academy, which is, I think, how you ended up in Orlando. Is that part of it? Um, no. So Code Academy was just something that I that I did. Um, it's just an online school that you can take to, to learn a little bit of web development. So um, I, I originally moved down to Orlando with Nathan and our other business partner from Portlight um, because our third business partner was going to get his MBA at a school in Orlando. And the three of us wanted to stick together while we continued to build Portlight. Got it. Okay, very good. So and you've talked about this before in other podcasts and in doing the research. You mentioned your cousin had the landscape business. That was an early influence. But w when did you know being an entrepreneur is what you wanted to do? Sure. I, I mean, I think I finally made the decision. It was probably in my senior year of college 
Um, so I'd been helping or been working with Nate and our other business partner on Portlight for about a year, a year and a half at that point. And I had I had a few other internships and um, I also had been entertaining the idea of getting adv- more schooling in economics. But um, when it came down to the time of actually graduating, I, I just saw a huge opportunity with Portlight and I didn't want to walk away from it. So I think it was at that point that I, I made that hard decision. You know, I'm going to wake up and, you know, spend my full time focused on this business and, and trying to build it up. Yeah. And Portlight came about as a, a different way to provide textbooks to fellow students. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It was we saw a need on campus. So most people know this, right? So you go to college, you buy textbooks for hundreds, thousands of dollars every um, semester. And then at the end, the bookstore offers you pennies to the dollar. So we started offering more than the bookstore and then selling them on Amazon because we saw that that was, you know, really blowing up in terms of online shopping. And um, that was kind of how we got into the whole Amazon world. And now you offer more than just books or is that still the concentration? Yep. We, so we expanded out of books um, when we graduated, actually right before we graduated. And what we did was we kind of followed Amazon. So it was about 2009, 2010, and Amazon was expanding into other product categories like kids products and toys and baby goods uh, to appeal to the increasing... Uh, market of moms and dads who are shopping online. And so we expanded into those by working with manufacturers um, as they as they opened up those parts of the marketplace. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So and you touched on it briefly, internships and studies abroad. And then after college, you were in South Africa for a while and Nicaragua for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that seems to have really impacted you in many ways. But share with us a couple ways you think that has impacted you in your life and and how you have applied that to the way you look at business. Yeah, of course. So just personally, I mean, going outside of the country to areas and cultures and that were just completely different from where I'd grown up in uh, the Northeast of America just was an eye-opening experience, right? I think most people go through that initial culture shock and everyone reacts differently. But for me, it was very humbling and, and it just kind of reminded me of you know, what is important in life. And, and it's really making those relationships. It's not all about just chasing the dollar. So that was kind of how it, it impacted me personally. And then professionally, I, I had a great opportunity. Um, it was my second time in South Africa where I was leading a team of about 35 students, um, bringing them through this program for the the nonprofit that I was working for. And, you know, I was 21 years old. I was, I was leading a, a bunch of people that were around my age, some even older. And it was just an amazing experience to be thrown into that fire and have to figure everything out on the fly. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think I could handle it a lot better today than I did then. But uh, I learned a lot from those failures that I made on that trip. And um, I kind of look at that as a as a beginning stage for how I started to mold my my own management and leadership style. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, very impactful. I, I think you also appreciate, we, we appreciate when you have those experiences, the access, the infrastructure, the mm-hmm. ability that we have in the United States to start and run a business. Right? Absolutely. So uh, then free up, if I understood it correctly, came out of the needs that uh, kept presenting themselves with port lights. So, so tell us about 
how that came about, how FreeUp came to be. Yeah, sure. So we, like I said, we, we spent about four years really scaling up Portlight. And during that time, we had been introduced to Odesk, which is now Upwork, uh, you know, this freelancing platform by another entrepreneur in Orlando. And we, we kind of became addicted to it. So we started posting tasks and jobs that we needed to hire for to help us grow and sustain our Portlight business. And we, we just really enjoyed it. Um, so we, we hired around 30 people. We eventually had a team of you know 30 freelancers, some within the U.S., some uh, in the Philippines. And one thing that we didn't love, though, was the whole experience of posting a job, you know, getting 10 applicants, having to interview them, and then figuring out if we're going to make the right hire or if we make a bad hire, we're kind of back to stage one. So we spent you know maybe a year or two going through this process and getting frustrated. And we eventually decided, you know, is there a better way that we could do this? And so that's how the the free up concept came about. It was let's try to create a marketplace where we vet the freelancers and business owners are only introduced to those people that we've put through our own unique interview and communication testing. Yeah, and that that continues to be a differentiator. I, I'm, there might be others doing it, but I got to think that continues to be one of the unique aspects of what you offer through free up. Yep, of course. So yeah, it's a, it, that is a huge piece for us. There are other um, players in the industry. One is TopTal. So they uh, they do a similar deal mainly for web developers and web designers. Um, but our our, ex, our expertise and kind of doing that pre-vetting for the specifically to start for the e-commerce industry. And now we've expanded to other industries as well. But that is definitely what makes us different. Yeah. So you did free up obviously as well with your partner, and, and obviously you started the first business with Nathan. You've talked about, and in some of your blog posts, you talk about partnerships. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. one of your posts about nine characteristics to look for in a founding partner. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stood out that I have found has always been important because I prefer working in partnership myself. Sure. You talk about how important communication is and communicating well. So I, I was hoping you could speak to that because I want to just do a, a quick dive on partnership in particular how do you guys communicate? How have you gotten better at communicating? Are there specific tactics that you use? Especially now you're not living in the same city anymore. So tell us about how you all communicate effectively. Yeah, of course. And it, it evolves over time, right? So when we first started working together, there was one big rule that we made that really helped us get through those initial years. And that rule was that personal is personal and business and business is business. So we always had a very hard line um, that, you know, even if you had an argument during the day where you were working on the business, you could still hang out with each other after and, and kind of put that to the side and just keep those very separate. So, um, but could you could you really do that most times? I mean, that's that's hard to definitely. do. Definitely. And there were definitely times where, you know, we needed a break. You would take a week and, you know, not hang out after you were working because it was a, t- a tense time. But for the most part, we always have come back to that value. Um, and it's it's really allowed us to, to stay focused on when we're working on the business, you're always making the decisions that are absolutely best for the business, not anything for your own personal interest or vendetta against them for whatever reason. Um yeah, you're always looking out for each other. At least you want to feel that in a partnership and believe that, that the other person is looking out for you and you're looking out for them. 
Exactly. Um, another another piece of advice is you just have to you have to be honest with each other, right? So one one big activity that we did um, when we were running Portlight and there was we were starting to have some friction of of working together was uh, we just sat down with each other and we kind of had a vetting session, right? We went over what we thought each other were great at, and that was that was good to know, good to identify. But then we also put down what we thought each other was really weak at, um, so that you could just be completely honest and transparent in how you're working together. And it really allowed us to put ourselves in even better positions of where we were before. Um, so at first we might've been stepping on each, each other's toes a little bit. Um, whereas after that conversation, and of course, you know, years of practicing it, we, me and Nate are very much now in differing positions where we're not touching or overstepping each other much, but we completely trust what the other is doing. Yeah. Do you sometimes, or, have, or do, did you have the rule and have the rule that if we go out to dinner or we go out for a beer or we go out socially, we're specifically not going to discuss business? Do you have that spoken rule? Um, no. So that's one th- that that kind of flies into our personal lives just because, I mean, we've always been super passionate about yeah, our business exactly. and what we're doing. You're living it's, and breathing yeah. all the time, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we, we never had that stipulation, um, you know, unless it was going to be a, a super tense conversation that should be left for behind closed doors and not bothering other people. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Why are you a great partner? Uh, sure. So um, I, I think I bring a specific skill set to the table that complements other types of founders. Um, I'm, I'm very I'm much more of the creative content, relationship building, marketing side. Um, and, and Nate really brings that super rigid, super uh, sales and organizational side. So we, we very much complement each other. Um, another quality of mine is I... I have my own views, but I'm always open to hearing someone else's. So, you know, if there are ever conflicts or issues, um, I, I always like to listen out all the facts and, and then try to find the right solution. Um, you know, it's, it's not always just about my side versus your side. It's trying to find what, what is best for the business at that time. Yeah, I think that's a key point, Connor, because if you're not that type of person, you're going to have a lot of challenges working in partnership. Mm-hmm. Often it is about compromise. It often is about letting go of what we might believe very strongly in accepting that your partner whom you trust and respect might be right or half right. And so we got to meet each other halfway often. Definitely. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into the topic I wanted to get into, which is bootstrapping. You've done it and lots of us have done it. We're always looking for how to continue to do it, whether we're growing a business or starting a new business. Uh, I'd like to start with your definition of bootstrapping, and particularly as it applies to if I'm starting my first business and I don't have any money and somebody tells me you should bootstrap, what does that mean? Sure. So to me, so the process of bootstrapping is, is actually building and then also scaling your company without outside funding. You're mainly depending upon the profits that you're generating from the product or the service that you're offering to your your customers, um, you know. So in your example, right, you have no money, um, but maybe you have an expertise. Maybe you know how to do something very well. Um, you could you could offer that service to someone, and the money that you make off of them paying you for it, you then will take that money and reinvest it back into the business. Um, and that's you know that's bootstrapping at its its earliest stage. Yeah, that makes sense. The other component I often add to it is sometimes what you have to do to be able to bootstrap is you have to adjust your, not your dream, but your mm-hmm. short-term goals, right? So my 
I might want to build a company that's this size and has this many locations and serves right. this many customers, but that's not realistic if I've got a resource constraint. I may have to start micro small and then bootstrap to get there. Yeah, I completely agree. Bootstrapping definitely requires you to to start small and really grind through that first year. Um, I think when bootstrapping that first year is totally critical. If if you can't make it through that, it's going to be really, really hard to, to keep going. Both Portlight and FreeUp were started without any external funding or tell me about how you got started with those two businesses yep, financially. That, sure, that's correct. So Portlight was, um, this is a, a an, an entertaining Nate story. So he said, um, I, I had $5. I decided to buy a book. I listed it on Amazon. And if it sold, I said I would keep going. If not, then I would just stop. I would just quit right there on the spot. So that obviously worked out. I think he, you know, doubled his money with that. And then that kind of led to us, you know, buying more products and, you know, continuing to make profits and reinvesting it back into to more uh, products and, and obviously people eventually. Yeah. And then uh, FreeUp also started um, Bootstrapped and it was... We were mainly, when we first started, we were mainly offering e-commerce consulting and also Amazon courses. Um, and, and that's really the main way that the, the business generated income at first. Um, and then with those customers, we slowly introduced them to the idea of hiring freelancers. And then that started to take off maybe after about three or four months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which touches on another big point, the overused word of pivoting, but part of bootstrapping is taking a kind of going where it takes you sometimes Mm -hmm. and uh, allowing that to happen. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, we, we totally had to do that. And I, um, what I encourage people to do is it's when you're bootstrapping, it's always smartest to start with your skill set, your expertise and offering that as some sort of service to someone else. Um, if, if that's not eventually where you want to take it, let's say in a year, that's okay. Build up a little bit of cash, continue to work on your, you know, your grandiose idea or service on the side. And then as you build that rapport with customers, they should ideally be people that would want your product or service at a certain point. Yeah. Now at this point, have you all gone to external funding for the next growth leap or has it continued to be driven by profits? So FreeUp has been continued to, to be bootstrapped just by the profits that the company is making. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of been our, our focus here for the past year. We've talked about going to external funding if it was ever needed at a certain point to jump to that next level, but we don't have any immediate plans to, to go after it. Okay, fair enough. So in the book, again, the book is called Free Up Your Business, 50 Secrets to Bootstrap Million Dollar Companies. And you've got like six primary sections. I'll try to touch on <laughs> most of these. But on the finances part of it, which is a big part of it, we've already talked about the obvious finance component, which is how do I get the money to get started? Yep. But w- you talk about, and I have observed this as a big challenge, is we can very easily overspend during startup. So tell us about some of how you look at that and how you continue to look at how you make a spending decision and mm-hmm. what goes into deciding, yes, I'm going to spend on that. No, this is frivolous. We don't need it now. That whole thing is a challenge when you're first starting a business, in my experience. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so my philosophy has always been to be as frugal as possible at the start. Um, yeah, You really don't want to spend money on anything unless it's directly bringing you in more revenue you know, or more profits, um, because that's where, you're, that's where you're really trying to get as you're bootstrapping and starting a business. But 
Um, the, the way that I like to break it up and I think it keeps it pretty simple for people is when you're bootstrapping a business and you know, you start to make even a small amount of money, the way that I like to, or break it up is, um, into three different buckets, right? So as you're bootstrapping a business, it's inevitable that you have to pay yourself, right? You can't go years upon years of trying to bootstrap a business without making any income yourself. Um, and you know, unless you're in a, a crazy situation where you have that backup money. But so you want to put some towards your personal pay. Let's say maybe 50% goes towards your personal pay. The second bucket is to continue to grow the business and, and kind of surround yourself with some smart people that handle different parts of the operations. So maybe 25% there. And then to be safe, because all businesses go through ups and downs, you take that remaining 25% and you toss it into a, you know, a savings account so that on a rainy day when you know, business has gone down, you can continue to support your operations and keep things going. So that's kind of a, a, a simple strategy that you can use at first to manage your finances um, so that you're not overspending on things and you're making sure that you're paying yourself too because if you're the sole founder or if you have two founders, you're the most important parts to, to the start of that business. Right. But let's talk about that a bit more because that's such a challenge, the, <laughs> the paying yourself part, right? right? Because often for a lot of us, especially as we're bootstrapping to start, uh, you know, there's barely enough money to cover the expenses, no mm-hmm. less pay myself. And I always believe that's part of being prepared financially to start a business is you need to have some cash reserves of your own yep. to cover you or another income or a job or your spouse or whatever has a job, right? Mm-hmm. Um so it's, so it's hard. At what point, if you're advising someone who's starting up a business, at what point do you think they should start being close to or be paying themselves something? And do you use that as a measure of this business model is not working and it's time to figure something else out? You understand what I'm challenged with there? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, when you asked that question, what just jumped into my mind was like six months to a year. And it, of course, it really depends on what business you're trying to build and, and what you're putting out there. Um, but I, I would, I don't know if it's a hard rule, but I would encourage people to also, you know, keep it in the back of their mind. If you've spent an entire year trying to get customers for your business and make money um, and, and you've, you've hardly made anything, there's a chance, you know, there's not a real need for it or you need to get some mentorship so that you can, um, so that you can get some advice on, on how to take it to that next level and, and really start to bring in some, some revenue. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. All right, that kind of segues into the the planning component that you also talked about or talk about rather in the book mm-hmm. and you believe in having a one-year plan but then focusing on daily steps. Yep. Uh, why is the planning so important in your experience? Sure. So the the one-year plan and and I like to, you know, specify it to that because um, when you start to go out past one year, uh, it can things can get too blurry, um, and it's it's hard to stay focused on those and and continue to work towards those. So the reason that I like a one year plan is because uh, you you have this end reality that you're trying to reach, and you can define it in a in a multitude of ways, right? Maybe it's the revenue you're generating, or the number of customers you have, or um, you know the lifestyle that you're living. There's there's a number of ways you can do it, but you have that one year vision. And then I love to use that as a way to work backwards. So you kind of counter engineer it. So if I want to get here and there's four quarters in the year, you know, what are those milestones that I have to hit each quarter? 
Uh, and then again, you can break it down. So in that quarter, what do I have to do each month? In that month, what can I do each week? And then on a daily basis, you know, what projects are you working on? How are you spending your time? That's eventually propelling you towards that one year, you know, end reality. And I can tie that obviously to the whole concept of bootstrapping. There's got to be a budget component to that then or some kind of numbers to say, well, mm-hmm. If we can only do so much in the in these next four quarters, depending on what we're projecting or how we're going to grow, and then we'll adjust that real time. Definitely, yeah. And you have to be, and when you're bootstrapping a business, you have to be super creative, right? So you want to try to find ways that you can grow that's not costing you too much money, um, and that maybe it's more just of your time and more of your hustle um, at first than you know investing in you know let's say some a piece of software or something. Uh, like I said before, I, I try to be as frugal as possible at the start. Yeah. Systems and processes, uh, that's critical to me. I think that's Mm. a huge component of how you grow a business, regardless of the financial components of it. But I want to talk about that and why that's so important. Again, from the perspective of bootstrapping, Mm -hmm. why is it that if you develop systems and a process for how to do things, how have you found that that helps you manage the money side of things? Yeah, of course. So systems and processes just in general, they're super helpful to make sure that you as the business owner can set a foundation for certain areas of your business and know that it's running efficiently, running properly. And then you can also move on and and repeat that process for another area of growth. Um, And so in terms of how does it, you know, help you with spending, um, you know, let's just use an example, right? So let's say someone, you want to hire someone to come in and, and manage your social media. You know that social media could be a way you could reach out to new customers and tell them about your services. Um, so let's just say without building a system and process and maybe even training documents or doing it yourself first, you just hire someone and you kind of put a budget towards them and you let them do their thing. So with that, there's there's a lot of discovery they have to go through. There's a lot of time they have to spend just to try to figure out the best way to do it. Whereas if you as the business owner took, let's say, three weeks before making that hire, you went through the process, you set up the different channels you want to be on, you created your strategy for how you want to post there, you found the groups that you wanted to get active in, um, and you set everything up in a training document, and then you hired that person you know that what they're doing is something that you've already proven to create results. So their efficiency should be much higher, which should lower your overall uh, spending in that given area. Yeah, yeah, that's a great takeaway, Connor. I think also what, what it helps us do, of course, is we don't want to end up a year or two years into it where we're the only one that can do mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> and, and sometimes we hang on to that because of our personality as an entrepreneur, but then going back to paying ourselves, I think I look at it also as it's not just a matter of paying ourselves financially, but paying ourselves, quote unquote, in the time that we can spend doing whatever else we want to do, right? So that the business doesn't consume us. And when we document things, when we put systems in place, we're able to step back. And and to your point, and I've found this again and again, the challenge we have sometimes is, say, well, it'll take me just as long to teach somebody how to do this or to delegate this or to hire a freelancer. Well, that's because you're not creating systems Mm -hmm. and those things that are repeatable tasks should be documented. So that to your point, when I do delegate it either to someone to hire that I hire or that I outsource to, 
that can happen very quickly and efficiently. Exactly. And uh, I, I mean, something I think you, you probably hear and I, I commonly hear is, you know, people who start a business, they want it to eventually run on its own, right? Um, right. But like you said, one of the biggest hurdles as an entrepreneur to get over is letting go of things and, and build setting up those processes so that it can run on its own because you as the business owner, you can't do everything. Um, and you need to, you need to be able to come to terms with that so that you can build a business that that's running for you while you're enjoying your life. Yep. Then in a book, you also talk about hiring the right team. And of course you all play a role in that regard in helping people bring on resources through free up but the big challenge as it relates to the money side of this, the, the bootstrapping is we're always challenged with when do I make that investment in bringing on another person? Again, whether I'm hiring mm -hmm. them or outsourcing them, freelancing, whatever, mm -hmm. I always get stuck with at what point do I decide mm -hmm. it's worth that investment and looking at it as an investment as opposed to expense. And you touched on it earlier that your model is, will this generate more revenue? But sometimes it's not that straightforward. Right. So as you guys were growing your business, how did you make those decisions? Okay, it's time to bring somebody else on or it's time to yep. bring on another resource. Talk to me about that. Sure. So a rule of thumb for me on this is if you're if you have too many things on your plate whereas you're being distracted from working on another growth project that could, you know, highly benefit the business, it's time to hire someone to take something off your plate. Um, and that's, that's kind of my, our general rule of thumb, right? So when we started building the business, we gave each other responsibilities within the different areas that we knew we wanted to grow, you know, sales, marketing, advertising, our content, uh, the building of the website. So there were all these things when we first started. Um, and as you got going, you, you, things just start to build up more projects come more systems come. It takes time to run through this and that on a daily basis. And so we eventually reached a a tilting point where, you know, we were each working 60 hours a week. We were responsible for our given areas, but we knew we had a lot that we still had to build to make it to a, a business that we wanted to get to. And so that was the time where we said, okay, let's, you know, let's take a small investment. Let's take, um, you know, let's say four hours per week. And we're going to start to hire a couple freelancers to tell, to take some hours uh, of tasks off our plates. Um, and what that allowed us to do is take some more time to, to work on other projects. And from there, it's just a slow process. And it completely depends on how fast you want to grow the business. You could do that very quickly or you could do it, you know, very gradually. Um, but that's that's where I think is the the critical point. Yeah, that's that's great input. And of course, now we've got this tremendous opportunity with freelance type work. Mm -hmm. And being able to leverage those resources without having to take on the full burden of those resources. And that's a tremendous opportunity for small business owners. Agreed. All right. Uh, leading and managing. So that's another topic you talk about. What have been some of the things that you think you've had to do as a leader, especially with tight budgets in this area of bootstrapping? Mm -hmm. Where does that come in? Where, where does culture play a role in making sure everybody's on the, the same page, if you will, on what we're trying to do with lean mm -hmm. budgets. Yeah, of course. So I think it really comes down to setting that culture from the get-go and then reinforcing it and setting up, again, systems that encourage it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, for us, we're, our culture, because we're completely remote, revolves very much around communication. So the way that we have our culture set up is as we hire new people, 
you know, we, we let them know what our expectations are. So when I hire someone, I make sure that, you know, if they're working four hours per day, they're, they're coming in and they're, they're giving me an update at the beginning of their shift. They're asking me questions. I know they're on at that time. I can ask them questions. At the end of the shift, they give me a little bit of a summary what they were able to achieve and maybe what they were struggling with. So, you know, that's one touch point where we're communicating, I'm managing, I'm leading and making sure that they're being efficient with their time. On top of that, we also have weekly meetings with our entire team, so an all-hands meeting, where we continue to go over the goals of the business, and we ask everyone else to, to give their updates on what they're working on, and it's a great way to hold everyone accountable to the, the growth goals that we have. And then the final one is once your team is big enough, so I have you know a social media team, uh, an advertising team, a blog team. So every two weeks, I'll meet with those teams and just continue to push them along as well. So that's kind of how we've built our culture all around communication. And it makes sure that even though you know we're thousands of miles away from everyone, we are on the same page and, and we're being efficient with what we're doing. Um, and then in terms of managing the budget with each person and with each team. Uh, for, my, for myself and Nate, we meet every couple weeks to go over our internal expenses. And then we also put hard numbers on the number of hours we want each freelancer working within their role. Excellent. Those are very good, specific takeaways. I appreciate you sharing those with us. Mm-hmm. All right. One of the last topics in, in the book, uh, or not last, but another topic in the book as we wrap up, kind of highlighting the book takeaways for me is about building a loyal following with mm. your customers. I want to read a quote. I think it's from the book. Uh, make you quote, make your top customers feel special by involving them in your growth, set up opportunities for your top customers to refer others and grow your customer network End quote. Specifically what I ask about is how do you guys go about involving your customers in your growth? Give me an example of that. Sure. So um, one of the most common ways that we do it is as we're releasing new features or as we were releasing new features of our software for these top um, customers that you know had been very loyal to us for a long time, we would ask them their direct feedback on things because we knew that they, they knew FreeUp very well um, and they would give us just very honest feedback. So that was that's one very simple way that we continue to involve our our top customers is, you know, give them that first look at upgrades to the software, ask them for their feedback, maybe even ask them what other features they would want that's going to make their hiring experience easier. Yeah. Good. Great. So Connor, why did you write this book? Sure. So it was it had kind of been an idea that was floating around with Nate and I for a while, um, you know, maybe a year or two before we actually got around to, you know, putting the uh, initial ideas together and then myself sitting down and writing it. Um, we saw it as a, a great opportunity to offer more value to the free up community that we were building and also just continue to establish ourselves as industry experts. That's a that's kind of a, a big part of what we've been doing as we've been growing the free up network is establishing ourselves as um, you know knowledge experts so that people will trust us and, and kind of understand that we understand how to build a business and free up can be taken seriously. Yeah, that's great. All right, let me ask you a more personal question. Uh, what do you love most about what you do today? <laughs> sure. So uh, there's a lot of things I love about what I do. Um, I At first, I just love being an entrepreneur. I, I really love solving problems. Um, for large groups of people and, and kind of building solutions. 
uh, specific to FreeUp, I I really love the the high level goal of bringing together freelancers and business owners. I think it's a, a whole new part of the economy that's continuing to grow, has been growing for you know ten plus years, but that we're going to see even more and more of as as business and the economy grows. Um, you know, and another thing I, I just absolutely love is is having control of my schedule and and kind of being able to create my own projects and, and impact the business, how I creatively think will work best. Yeah. Is that why you're an entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great. Um, so we've touched on it uh, around, we, we've talked about it, but give us the quick elevator pitch on free up and what it is that you offer your clients. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, the the differentiating factors behind the the free up marketplace can can be broken down into you know maybe three different areas. So, the one that we talked about at the beginning was when you when you're hiring through free up, you're finding pre vetted freelancers. So, you don't actually have to go through the interview, the recruitment, the that whole hiring process. Um, it becomes very simple. You submit a worker request for the freelancer that you need, and you're introduced to someone within hours. So, that's one of the biggest thing that still differentiates us. Um, a, a second thing that, that kind of puts us different from the Upworks and the other services is that we're very customer service driven. So, you know, working uh, on the Amazon marketplace and building that business, Amazon's biggest value is customer service. So we are held to very high standards in terms of communicating with our customers. And we've really carried that over to the free up marketplace. So you know, if, if any of our clients or even any potential customers are want to speak with us, they can reach us pretty much around the clock. And, you know, it's not just a support team that we have. It's also Nathan and myself who are happy to jump on a call and speak with them. Yeah. And then, you know, the last factor that differentiates us is, um, in, you know, in the rare case that a worker you hire does decide to quit or has to move on to another job outside of the network, we will replace them very quickly and we'll also cover any replacement costs that you incurred from that experience. And so what's the business model? How do you make money on this transaction? Of course. So, so we operate as a, um, as a payment processor, pretty much. So business owner hires freelancer, freelancer bills hours to the business owner, business owner every week pays free up for the hours that that freelancer build free up takes 15% out of that and then pays the remainder to the freelancer. Great. Great. Thanks for sharing that. All right. We talked, we've been talking about your book. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, sure. I have a, I have a ton. I love reading business <laughs> books. Um, uh, a one simple one, I'll, I'll give you two. The, the simplest one, if you're starting a business that you absolutely have to read is The Lean Startup. Um, there's, there's no way around that. It's, it's kind of become a, a Bible to, to startup theory. So definitely give that one a look. And then the other one that I really love is by Peter Thiel. Um, it's called Zero to One. And it's, uh, it's not too long of a read. It's about maybe 150 pages, but it's just packed with information about building a business. And it's, uh, it's kind of based off his lectures that he gave at, at Stanford. So an awesome read as well. Great. Thanks for those recommendations. We'll have a link to those as well as to your book on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up here. Last two questions. And it's just parting or final thought, specifically on this topic that we took a deep dive on of bootstrapping a business. Is there anything else that comes to mind or something I didn't ask you about that you could share with us? 
Sure. So I think my, my parting advice on bootstrapping a business or just starting a business in general is you really have to mentally prepare for what you're getting into. Um, it, you know, it, it's going to eventually reach a point where it's fun and, and you're really enjoying what you've built. But the first six to six months to a year is, is very much a grind. You're, you're trying to figure things out. You're setting up those systems and processes. You're, you're not making too much money and you're, you're trying to increase that. So, um, I, my advice for someone is, you know, don't give up if it's, if you're three months in and you're super frustrated, it takes time to build a business that's going to last for a long time. So, uh, you know, stay, stay focused and, and just stay positive. Yep. I love that. Stay the course. I, that's one thing I've been trying uh, here in recent years to get better at. I call it enjoying the journey, right? We, we get mm-hmm. so focused on the supposed end goal, whatever that measure of success is for the business that we're starting that we miss out on enjoying the process. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's critical. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's tough to do sometimes when you have it a is. bad day. Um, yeah. But yeah, you you gotta just you gotta celebrate those small victories. That's gonna that's gonna go a long way. And I mean, you're an entrepreneur for a reason. You're not getting into a a super secure situation. If you were, you'd you know go get a just a regular nine to five job. But um, you you just gotta embrace everything. Agreed. Agreed. Great. Where would you like us to go online to find out more about you and about Free Up? Yeah, of course. So if you're interested in, in learning more about hiring freelancers, you can, of, of course, visit freeup.com. And that's with three E's. So F-R-E-E-E-U-P.com. And then if you're interested in learning more about me, I have my own website. It's just connorgillivan.com. Um, you can find my contact information, my social media handles on there. And I'm happy to speak with anyone about starting their business. Wonderful. We'll have uh, links to all of that again on the show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. Connor, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for taking the time to share your knowledge. Tell us about the book. It's a great read. And just for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Henry. Thanks for having me. This is Henry Lopez. And my guest was Connor Gillivan. Thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. We release new episodes every Monday morning. And you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website at thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.